Good afternoon. It's a joy to be here today. If your Bibles aren't already open there to Jeremiah 10, the passage that uh, Dave just read for us, I ask that you'll open them there. Now I want to focus in on this prayer that Jeremiah uh, prays today. For, for a long time, this has been a, a very memorable and impactful passage for me because I think it's something that I need to hear uh, and that I need to hear regularly. Uh, here, as we just read, Jeremiah says, I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not in himself, nor is it a man who walks to direct his steps. Correct me, O Lord, but with justice, not with your anger, or you will bring me to nothing. I think that's a prayer that we need to learn to pray. Um, how often do we come to the Lord asking, Lord, correct me. That's what I want us to consider today is seeking correction. You know, it, it's natural for us not to like correction. We, we don't like to be told that we're wrong. Uh, you know, parents, ha how many times have your children come to you and requested a spanking? Uh, or, or requested uh, to be grounded or receive a lecture. You know, kids, how many times at school have, have you gotten a paper back and gone up to your teacher and said, you know, I just, I really don't think there's enough red ink on this paper. Uh, you know, or, or how many of us really just have a longing for some coach to give us, uh, you know, a, a yelling speech or, or for an employer to, to give us a, a scathing performance review, we, we don't like to be wrong, and we don't like to be told that we're wrong. And yet, God would tell us that we need to develop a different attitude towards correction. Um, our reaction to rebuke is often to hunker down in a defensive position, to plug our ears, to, to shoot down uh, anything that looks threatening uh, the moment it approaches. Because criticism hurts, it's not fun, but we need to develop the attitude that Jeremiah has here. The prayer, oh Lord, correct me. And I think developing this attitude, we're, we're going to talk about two different aspects here. We're going to talk about why we need to develop this attitude and also how we can apply this attitude. Welcoming correction, not only welcoming it, but actively seeking it out in our lives. And I think the, the key to verse 24 where Jeremiah prays this prayer is what he says in verse 23. First of all, we have to accept our need for correction. Verse 23, I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not in himself, nor is it in a man who walks to direct his own steps. I don't have it figured out. I don't have the strength. I don't have the wisdom to direct my own steps. I can't be the potter of my own life. I am not in control. And as long as we think that we have it all under control, that we're sufficient within ourselves, that we can direct our own steps, then we're not going to seek correction. Uh, we're not going to be open to correction. Well, I don't need that. But the more that we recognize our own insufficiency, the more that we have the humility to recognize that our own strength and our own wisdom is not adequate, the more we are going to seek out and welcome correction. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 23, uh, verse 25 rather, tells us there is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. 
doing what is right in our own eyes is never a good thing. Uh, you know, when Israel did what was right in their own eyes, we look at the book of Judges. Every man did what was right in our own eyes. Do we look at that passage and say, well, great, everybody's trying to do what's right? No, of course not. They were doing what was right in their own eyes. And here we're told that if we're following what seems right to us, what I think is the right way, then I am guaranteed to end in disaster. I can't follow my own thoughts and my own ways. Uh, you know, especially as, as men, we don't like following directions sometimes. That, that's kind of a stereotype, a, a joke, universal joke that, you know, we, we don't want to stop and ask for directions. We don't want to read the manual. I'm going to figure it out on my own. I, I don't need somebody to tell me how to get there or tell me how to put this together. And maybe that works out okay sometimes if you're on a vacation and if you're traveling. Maybe sometimes you might be able to figure it out if you're putting something together. But what if a surgeon took that approach? That I, I don't need to go to medical school. I don't need to read all those medical textbooks. I, I don't need you know, to hear these lectures. I'll figure it out on my own just as I go along. I would not want to be operated on by that surgeon. Um, because it's a matter of life and death. Yeah, when, when you're on a, a vacation and you're looking for directions, that maybe doesn't matter that much. But when we're talking about our souls, we cannot afford to take our own way, to follow our own ideas. We need the Lord to instruct us. Because our own thoughts, what seems right to us, is only going to end in disaster. Because God doesn't think the way that we think. Isaiah 55 Verse 8 and 9 tells us, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, sometimes we, we look at this passage and we think the primary point uh, is, you know, God's way is just mysterious, we can't figure it out. Um, you know, it, it may not make sense to me, but I, I, I'm just never going to be able to fully understand what God's way is. I, I don't think that's the primary point being made here. Because earlier it says, let the wicked forsake his way. Um, the point is we need to let go of our own way and our own thinking and adopt God's thinking and God's ways. By God's grace, he has revealed to us his thoughts and he has revealed to us his way. Um, and yet, that is a much different way than the way that we would determine if we were simply following our own thoughts and our own feelings. Many times we want to follow our own emotions, uh, and yet our hearts are going to lead us astray. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 26, we're told, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. It is not wise to follow our hearts. Uh, it is foolish. Our society tells us that, that following our hearts is a, a good and a commendable thing. Well, no, we're, we're told that our hearts are going to lead us astray. We can't put our trust in ourselves, in our own instincts. God is here to, to save us from ourselves, to save us from our own thoughts and our own ways. Jeremiah 17, if you want to turn over just a few passages from Jeremiah 10 to Jeremiah 17 and verse 9. Notice what Jeremiah says here. In verse 9, he says, The heart is more deceitful than all else, and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? 
Do we want to follow our own hearts, our own feelings, our own emotions? Jeremiah says that it is more deceitful than all else. Self-deception is the most dangerous type of deception, and many times the most prevalent. That it is much easier sometimes for me to deceive myself than for somebody else to deceive me. Uh, is one of the most dangerous types of deception. We can convince ourselves that good is evil and evil is good. We can convince ourselves that sin really isn't that bad or that sin is worth it, but we are telling ourselves lies. We can't follow our own feelings and our own emotions because our emotions tend to be selfish. Our, our feelings tend to focus on how things affect me, how they make me feel. And that is never going to lead me towards God. Many times that is going to lead me away from God. I need to allow God to train my emotions, to train my feelings by his word, by his revelation. If I simply base my life on my feelings, on what seems right to me, I am 100% guaranteed to be wrong. Because my heart is deceptive. The way that seems right to me is the way that ends in death. And so we desperately need to ask God to overcome our self-deception, to help us see through the lies that we tell ourselves, uh, to help us get past our own selfish emotions. In Psalm 14, verse 2 and 3, we see a description of all that man has achieved from God's perspective. Here it says, The Lord looks down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. You know, that's not often how we would describe ourselves. Uh, according to a, a humanist perspective, of the world, you know, we as humans are, are the most advanced creatures. We, we've got it all figured out. We we're, we're, have more knowledge and more understanding than our predecessors. We are building bigger buildings. We, we have uh, better education. And yet from God's perspective, he's not impressed by our scholars and our professors. And he's not impressed by our skyscrapers or our space shuttles. From God's perspective, we have all failed in the purpose for which we were created. Our purpose in reflecting His glory and reflecting His character and His image is something that each and every one of us have turned aside from. None of us truly on our own are able to find God. We're not able to stay on the straight and narrow. We can't be good on our own. We need God to teach us. We need God to deliver us from ourselves and to transform us. Why do we need to have this attitude towards correction? Why do we need to seek out correction? Because on our own, we are doomed to disaster. We are doomed to failure. And so even though it may not come natural to me to welcome and to even seek out correction, I need to be cultivating that type of heart that Jeremiah expresses here. I need to be praying this prayer every day. Lord, correct me. Show me where I'm wrong. Show me where I'm deceiving myself. Show me what I need to change. Because without you, I know that I am doomed to fail. 
And if we develop this type of attitude, if we have the humility to see our need for correction, this is going to show itself in how we react to the correction of others. It's going to cause us to develop an attitude of welcoming correction from others. Because even though it may not be an enjoyable thing, we recognize that others can help us avoid self-deception. They can help us avoid deceiving ourselves. Many times, lies that we tell ourselves uh, are easier for somebody else to see through. They can observe our actions and our emotions more objectively, and we need others to uh, help correct us, help us see where we are wrong, to challenge us to be honest with ourselves. Proverbs 27 in verse 5 and 6 says, Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. True love and friendship does not turn a blind eye to sin. True friendship does not minimize sin. It does not sugarcoat sin. Uh, true friendship is not going to support us in our self-deception. A true friend is going to be the one who tells us what we need to hear, even when it's not what we want to hear. Certainly, those who genuinely love us are going to strive to speak the truth in love. Uh, it's not going to be a, a rebuke out of arrogance or, or hatred. It's going to be a rebuke out of genuine care and compassion. And yet, uh, true friends are going to have the courage to challenge us uh, to help us become better people, to say what we need to hear. What kind of people do we consider our true friends? What type of people do we draw near to us? Are they those who are going to be honest with us? Those who are going to say the hard things? Or is it those who are simply going to make us feel better? Proverbs 9 and verse 8 and 9 tells us, Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in his learning. How do we react to rebuke? How we react to rebuke often has a lot more to say about us in our own hearts than it does about the approach of the person uh, who has sought to correct us. Do we react by being defensive, by shifting the blame to others, by attacking others? Do we react by giving a cold shoulder, by shutting those out who are trying to help us? Or do we have an attitude of thanking those uh, who had the courage to talk to us about something um, that we have done wrong? I'll tell you that that is not natural. <laughs> And that is not how I tend to react to rebuke. I, I see this in myself. I know that when others tell me that I've done something wrong or, or, or criticize me, my first reaction is, is to push back on that. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that I'm wrong. And yet, the Bible tells me that if that is the reaction that I give into, then I'm a scoffer, that I'm not a wise man. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Many times when the finger is pointing at us, our gut reaction is, is to turn the finger to point towards somebody else, to shift the blame. Yes, I did that, but 
if, if so-and-so had acted the right way, it, it would have made it a lot easier. Yes, I, I did that, but I'm not the only one who sins here. Yes, I did that, but if people had treated me the right way and given me the kind of help that I needed, things would be a lot different. And that's a natural human reaction. You look back in the garden, Genesis chapter 3, what was the reaction of Adam and Eve when God approached them with their sin? Uh, the woman that you gave to be with me, she gave a the fruit to me, and I send. And the woman, uh, when questioned, says, well, the serpent deceived me. We even see this in in our our children. How how many times do you hear, well, it it was his idea, (laughs) or he started it? Sometimes we don't grow out of that reaction. Maybe they become more refined in the way that we express that, but we may tend to have that same reaction. Turn your Bibles to Matthew 7. Verse 3 through 5. Here, this passage is sometimes uh, a favorite passage of those who do not want to respond to correction. Here we read in verse 3, Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. What's the point of the passage here? I think sometimes the way we want to use this passage is to kick back against the correction of others. And we say, well, if I can find something wrong in your life, then I don't have to listen to what you're saying. Is that the point that Jesus is making here? In fact, Jesus is making the exact opposite point. The point that he's making here is that we need to first take the log out of our own eye. The point that he's making is that each and every one of us needs to first look to our own hearts and our own lives before we start saying, well, you have such and such wrong with you. You you need to fix this. Each and every one of us need to have the attitude that I want to make sure If it's a speck, if it's a plank, if it's a log in my own, whatever it is, I want to make sure that first and foremost, I am doing what's right. I want to make sure that I'm making the changes that I need to make. That is the point of this passage. Not to invalidate any correction that comes from somebody who has something wrong with them. The point that Jesus is making is that we each need to first look to ourselves. Look internally to correct the faults in our own lives before starting to point the finger at somebody else. And so what this ultimately challenges us to do is to accept rebuke, uh, to, to accept legitimate rebuke, no matter what the source. You know, it, it doesn't matter who it is. Uh, it doesn't matter what's going on in life. If, if what they say is correct, I need to be looking to myself first, not to them. If what they say is correct, if it's truly from God, um, before I seek to to say, hey, well, you need to correct this, I I need to first make that correction, despite what may be going on in their life. We each need to have this internal focus first of correcting the things in our own hearts. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 1 says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But he who hates reproof is stupid. 
Now, when I was growing up, stupid was a word that we weren't supposed to use. That's not a nice word. But brethren, when God uses it, he means it. And when I hate reproof, when I kick back to correction, as is my tendency to do, I am being stupid. I am being a fool. Loving discipline is unnatural. But if we love wisdom, and if we love God, and we love spiritual growth, and we love what, uh, allowing God to transform us into who he wants us to be, we're going to learn to love correction, because correction is a necessary part of that. It's a necessary part of wisdom. It's a necessary part of growing into being who God wants us to be. David is an example of someone who learned to love discipline. Consider 2 Samuel chapter 12. You're welcome to turn there with me if you'd like to. 2 Samuel chapter 12, remember when Nathan approaches David about his sin. And he tells this parable about the man who had many sheep and the man who only had one. And this man with many sheep stole the one ewe lamb of this poor man and slaughtered it. And David, as he is furious because he can see this in somebody else's life, he can see it in somebody else's example, hears Nathan say the words, you are the man. You know, certainly I think Nathan approached David with wisdom. I think he approached him with love. But he didn't beat around the bush. He says, you are the man in verse 9. He says, why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't minimize it. He doesn't beat around the bush. He tells him what he needs to hear. What's David's attitude? Now, David was the king of Israel. David had the authority here to, to, to silence Nathan. David could have put him to death right then and there. But David had the humility to accept this rebuke. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. We need to have the attitude of David um, to see past our own self-deception, to accept the rebuke of others. In Psalm 141, we see a, a psalm of David. And we don't know exactly when this may have been written, but I, I can see him very well looking back on his experience with Nathan as he writes this. In verse 5, he says, Let the righteous smite me in kindness and reprove me. It is oil upon the head. Do not let my head refuse it. How do we see the, the wounds of a friend? How do we see the rebuke of others? Here David says, It is oil upon my head. Let me not refuse it. Loving and sincere rebuke is the greatest gift that anyone can offer us. Praise and condemnation, uh, sorry, praise and commendation may make us feel good, but reproof and correction are going to help us be good. And this is not something uh, that comes easy for me. I don't like criticism. I don't like to be wrong. But I want to tell each of you as my brothers and my sisters here and now that if you see something wrong in my life, I want you to tell me. 
If you see something that I need to improve on, I want you to come to me. And if I don't respond correctly to that, feel free to smack me over the head. <laughs> smite me. Let the righteous smite me in kindness. That needs to be our attitude. Because that alone is the attitude that is going to help us to grow and help us be who God wants us to be. But ultimately, the correction that we're seeking is correction from God. Jeremiah 10, 24, after recognizing that it's not within himself, that he doesn't have the strength and wisdom to direct his own path, he prays, correct me, O Lord. God is the one, ultimately, who has the answers. He's the one who has the wisdom to correct us. Certainly not all rebuke is created equal. Um, sometimes somebody may rebuke me just because they were personally offended by something. Maybe they were offended because I was doing what was right. Ultimately, we need to measure all correction and rebuke by the Lord's standard. And it's going to be very easy for us to try to deceive ourselves into thinking that, well, no, that's not legitimate criticism. We need to be very careful that we are willing to be honest and serious about asking ourselves, is this rebuke from the Lord? Is this actually something that I need to change? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 tells us all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, uh, equipped for every good work. Part of the way in which we are to be using God's word is reproof and correction. Sometimes we're very hesitant to use it in that way. Uh, but if we're just using it for teaching and instruction, we're not using it for reproof and correction in our own lives and, and at times in the lives of others, then we are not taking full advantage of God's word. It is intended to make us complete, to make us adequate, fully, fully equipped spiritually by correcting us, by showing us things in our life that are wrong, things that we need to change. If we want to be thoroughly equipped, we need to be using God's word in that way. And ultimately, God's word needs to be the source of any reproof or any correction that I offer. It can't be, well, I was offended when you said, said such and such. Uh, it can't simply be, well, you know, I, I felt like this would be a better way to do things. Um, not that those things might never be helpful counsel, uh, but ultimately when it comes to correction and rebuke, it needs to be looking at it from God's perspective. Not what's right in my eyes, but what is right in the Lord's eyes. And as we consider using God's word in that way, uh, this passage here in Timothy isn't just about how we can use God's word in other people's lives. Ultimately, I, I, I'm not to be sitting around waiting for somebody to, to come use God's word in this way in my life. I have a personal responsibility. If we're having the attitude that Jeremiah has, correct me, O Lord, then I need to be seeking correction in God's word daily. I need to be seeking to use God's word to exercise some personal rebuke and reproof, to search my own hearts. We uh, talked about recently in James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 23 
through 25 about using God's word as a mirror. If you want to turn over there with me and consider it for a moment. Starting in verse 23, we read, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he immediately uh, has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. How does this describe our use of the perfect law of liberty? How does this describe our use of the revealed will of God? Does it describe it as a, a telescope that, that we can you know, look, look out on the, the world or, or look at other people or a microscope to, to analyze other people's lives? That, that's not how, uh, first of all, neither of those were created at, at this time, but uh, certainly that's not the idea. We're not using God's word primarily to look at other people. Primarily, we need to be using God's word to look at ourselves. To look at our own hearts and compare our own lives to what we read. And I look there in, in verse 25 and it says, But anyone who looks intently at the perfect law. This is going to take some, some very focused effort. Um, you know, it's not that I just, well, I, I read a chapter this morning and uh, now I got my Bible reading done and I'll keep going. No, we, we spend time in God's Word for a purpose to, to compare what we see within God's word to our own lives and to our own hearts. What does this show me that I need to change? What does this show me that I need to grow in? What does this show me that I need to, to think differently about? And so every time that I sit down with my Bible, every time we come together and we study, every time that we hear a sermon, that is the goal. We are looking intently within God's word to see what it shows us about our hearts and our lives. And then to abide by it, to make the necessary changes, not to become a forgetful hero, but to, to recall those things to mind throughout the week and throughout the day as I encounter different situations that make application of those principles that I read. Now when I'm in interaction with others, I recall those things, I act upon them. That is ultimately the goal. Every time that we leave these doors, every time that we close our Bibles, we need to have taken away some change that we need to make in our thinking and the way we speak and the way we interact, how we work, how we spend our time, our money, money or our energy, how we worship, how we pray, how we study. And if we leave this building without any change in our thinking, any change in uh, the, the way that we live, then we may have just missed the point. Our goal needs to be each time we come away from God's word, thinking about some way that it applies to me and how I am going to act or think differently. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5, Paul writes, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. L.A. Stouffer, uh, who's the preacher that I worked with in St. Louis um, for five years before we moved here, uh, used to often say that he thought this here was the hardest command in the Bible. To examine ourselves, to be honest with ourselves. Jeremiah 17 says the heart is deceitful above all else. 
the hardest thing in our lives is to practice genuine self-examination, to see ourselves as God sees us, to test ourselves. We don't want to wait until the, the final exam to start seeing whether or not our lives are in line with what God desires from us. We need to do a, a lot of pre-testing here. Testing from day to day to make sure that we are in line with what God desires from us, that we are growing more into the image of Christ, the image of God. This is going to take some serious soul searching, pushing past our self-deception, being honest about our hearts and our lives. But God's word is able to accomplish that. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says, The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, uh, piercing to the vision of soul and spirit and joints and uh, marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. God's word, when used properly, is able to expose what is inside you, um, is able to pierce deep and to make those corrections. Is that how we're using God's word? Is that our purpose each time that we come together, each time that we open up our Bibles? If we want to be who God wants us to be, if we want to walk down the path that God wants us to walk down, we need to have the same attitude of Jeremiah. We need to recognize that the way of man is not in himself, that it is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. We need God to correct us. We need our brethren to correct us. We need others to keep us accountable, to show us ourselves as we truly are to help us get past our self-deception. We need to be welcoming that. We need to be seeking it. Are you welcoming correction today? Are, are you seeking it from the Lord and from others around you? There's no doubt that we need it. What correction do you see that you need to make in your life today? As you leave these doors, what application in, in your thinking and your actions and your words and your heart from day to day are you going to make? And if there's some change that you need to make in a public way, if you need to confess some sin before these brethren, if you need to ask for their prayers, if you need to commit your life to the Lord, we want to help you in that way. If you want to go ahead and get your songbooks out, uh, we're about to sing a song. And... Certainly, getting your life right with the Lord is something that we need to be seeking to do at every point during every day. But we want to provide an opportunity here where we invite you to do that. Uh, Jason, what song are we going to sing? 277. If you want to go ahead and turn to 277. Um, as we sing that song, if there is anything that we can do to help you get your life right with the Lord, uh, we want to do it. Uh, if you need the prayers of these brethren, if you want to commit your life to the Lord for the first time, we want to invite you now to let it be known to these brethren uh, so that we can help you in doing that.